0: Alright, I'm going to go ahead and open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you and love you. Just thank you for today, Lord. And I thank you for the word of God that you've put inside of me. And I just pray that you would help me to bring it forth in a clear and understanding way. And I pray that it would fall upon listening ears. Give every one of us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying in this place today. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone says? Amen. Amen. All right. so um, I'm going to talk about... Five different women. The first three are women that are like in our history books, and then the last two are straight out of the Bible. Um, So we're just going to dive in. Um, The first one, her name is Susanna Wesley. She was born in 1669, and she raised 10 children. So she got my attention like right off the bat. Um, I'm going to read a couple lines that she said, and then I'll just tell you about her life. She said, I look upon every child as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a minister or a man, but I spare every night to discourse with each child set apart, strengthening their tiny faith in God. So Susanna Wesley um, and her ten children, she was an intercessor. She had a heart for the presence of the Lord, and so she would wear an apron, and when she was ready to pray, she would just throw that right over top of her head. And all of her kids knew, Mom's praying. It's time to be quiet. And so she would throw her apron over her head, and she would intercede. And she raised, to the boys she raised, are John and Charles Wesley. Um, Christian History Institute says John and Charles Wesley were among the most notable evangelists who ever lived. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about them because it's uh, pretty exciting. Um, Denny's not in here this service, but he's been teaching to the youth a message called Savage. And Savage nowadays means not caring what anybody thinks and so john had went into the service and he came out and his goal in life was to be more vile and and i thought that was super weird but what was happening is in those time periods people would only minister in the church or in the synagogue and so they were in england and he his goal was to be more vile but for god and so he just like right out into the streets Began preaching in the streets, preaching in the parks, preaching in just buildings, just everywhere. He preached to tens of thousands of people, and all the while, his brother Charles Wesley—this is so cool to me—he wrote over eight thousand hymns, many that we know, um, like "Hark the Herald Angels Sing" and "Jesus Lover of My Soul." And just um, he was—it was said of him that he could capture the entire Christian experience. And one verse. And so, you know, it just makes you wonder if their mother's prayers had anything to do with that. Yeah, I believe that it did. I believe that intercession had a lot to do with that. Um, the, next, the next woman I want to talk about, her name is Mary Ball Washington. And she was honored by her son. She was born in 1708. And her son says of her, My revered mother, by whose maternal hand, early deprived of a father, I was led to manhood. Her son always acknowledged that he owed everything to his mother. And anytime you look up uh, Mary Ball Washington online, right under her picture it will say, one tough mama. So I'll tell you about her. She, um, at a very young age, she became an orphan. And so she grew up and she gets married to a man that he's been married before. So he has two other children. And then he remarries and marries her. And um, so they have six children together, and she loses a child that's 18 months old, her daughter, little girl. And, um, and then when her oldest son is 11, her husband dies. And so at that time period, it was 1708 that she was born. So in the 1700s, it, it would have been easier for her just to remarry. They had, she had five children, a 600-acre farm, but in her husband's will, he wrote that everything was to be left to Mary's oldest son unless Mary remarried and then everything was to be left to the previous marriage, those children. And so she just was like, she wasn't going to get married because she wanted everything to go to her kid. So her oldest son was George Washington. Can we bring up this picture? And I want to talk about her because, you know, it talks about her being a tough mama. This is called Meditation Rock. This is where she would go, and it says that she spent hours of intercession right here. In fact, she loved this place so much. She would meditate on the word of God, and she would pray, and she would pray for her son and She loved this place so much she was insistent this is where she was going to be buried. And she is buried right there underneath that plaque. And I'm going to read to you what it says. It says, Meditation Rock, here Mary Ball Washington prayed for the safety of her son and our country during the dark days of the revolution. And she was buried there. She was a woman of intercession. And so I want to talk about intercession today, but I, I I want to talk to mothers that have young children. I don't know if there's anybody in here that has, but the fact is that distractions will come, and they continue to come, and they continue to come. I want to tell a story. I told them in the first service. Sometimes I think something's funny, and nobody else does. So you can just like fake it if you want to. It'd be nice. Anyway, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was I was praying, and I was like on my face. And uh, the kids were all in school except Justice. And Justice is going through something super sweet right now. She's, like, super motherly. She's rocking her baby. She wants to give her baba to the guinea pig, even. And she's like, you know, so she's doing all this motherly stuff. She's trying to change the diapers on her baby. She's one, And I just love watching this. But anyway, so it's just me in her home. And I'm on my face, and I'm just praying. I'm just crying out to God, pouring my heart out to the Lord. And I feel something on my bottom and I was like what is going on you know she was just pr- playing next to me with her dollies and then she starts to shove me she's trying to like roll me over and so I turn around and I'm like what are you doing and she's trying to change my diaper so so you know I understand that distractions come and uh, Kim Walker she wrote this song called Relentless Pursuit she actually has two little ones but that's what it's like As a mother, it's just this relentless pursuit of just going after God and going after God and going after God, and it's relentless, and we just can't give up just because distractions come. So the next lady I want to talk about, she's just amazing to me. Her name is Eliza Grace Simmon. She was born in 1847, and she was an accomplished pianist and painter. The amazing thing about her is that she was hard of hearing. So I just I just keep thinking, you know, I would never learn to play piano if I couldn't hear it. You know what I mean? If I couldn't enjoy it, what is the purpose? But she was determined to push through her weaknesses, and her son and her had this incredible bond. They were super close, just like me and my boys. They're not in here right now, but yeah. speaking it. Anyway, She, um, her son would come up, and he would put his face right on her forehead when he would talk so that she would feel the vibrations of his words and understand what he was saying. And in return, her son became super interested in sound and vibrations. And he began to just really study into those things. And he became an inventor. And his name is Alexander Graham Bell and he created the telephone. And so sometimes we think that um, God can't use us in our weakness but God will use, Denny's preached this before, God will use us right in our weakness. In fact, he will use our weakness and make something incredible. So if sometimes you feel like maybe you're a second-rate mother, I know that I felt that way, or just, you know, you just can't keep it all together like Pastor Brenda. <laughs> anyway, um, if you feel like that, it, it's it's not true because God will use you like right in your weakness. And God is just amazing that way. Um, so we're going to go ahead and dive into the word. And I'm going to read 18 verses. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say 18 verses. Okay. so um, So you guys are going to have to keep each other accountable. If somebody next to you starts to doze off or their mind starts wandering, or they're not paying attention, you can just go ahead and give them a little motherly smack this morning. Yeah? All right, so we're going to dive right in. We're reading First Samuel 1, verse 1 through 18. You guys ready? There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Suf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. And the priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Remember them because we're going to talk about them later. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah, and each of her children, and though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion, because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her, because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year, remember that? Year after year, everybody say that. Year after year. Okay. It was the same, and Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah, Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? Everybody listen to this line. You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? And all the women laughed. Okay. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her and seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request that you have ask of him oh thank you sir she exclaimed and she went back and began to eat again and she was no longer sad so right after that she becomes pregnant she gives birth to a son she um you know he grows a little she weans him and then in the same chapter in verse 28 it says now i am giving him to the lord and he will belong to the lord his whole life and they worshiped the lord there and then It goes right into chapter 2, and there's 10 verses, 10 straight verses of high praise. And Hannah says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me, and there's no one like the Lord. There's no one besides you, and there's no rock like our God. Okay, so I feel like that we can learn a lot from Hannah. We can learn about raising our kids, and we can also learn about when different situations and trials come to us, and we can learn through this story. Um, the fact is that trouble comes, and if you're not having any right now, woohoo! but the Bible says in this world you will have trouble. And uh, recently he was kind of showing me, um, he kind of took me to a beach because I was really seeking God, and, and there was all like all these waves, and God was showing me that, you know, sometimes the water is peaceful, you know, And sometimes there's like all these waves, and they come and go. And that's just part of life, and actually that's part of the beauty of the water. And um, so it's just like that. In this world, we will have trouble. What are we going to do when trouble comes? And um, so I felt like God was showing me um, five things that we can learn from this story from Hannah. And so the first one, I think some of us have this first one down, but I'm going to go ahead and go over it. The first thing she did is she poured her heart out. To the Lord. Now, I find it interesting that it said year after year she was taunted before she poured her heart out to God. I'm not really sure why. I, I think sometimes we think something's too big or sometimes we think something is too small. But for whatever reason, it took her years before she actually just really got on her face and cried out to God. Um, Psalm 62 8 says, Pour out your heart to God, for he is your refuge. And so, we're going to go through these five steps, and I'm going to be testing you the whole time. This first one is easy, and I think we know this one. But number one is pour out your heart to God. Everybody say it. Pour out your heart to God. Okay, so the first thing we do when situations arise or even situations with our children, the first thing we do is we pour out our heart to God. Now, the second thing she did, and I'm just being honest this morning. This is something that I've struggled with is she dedicated her child to the Lord. And the word dedicate means to give, to surrender. So Psalms 55:22 22 says, cast your care on the Lord, fully release it, and he will sustain you. So I'm going to tell you guys a couple stories about me. Uh, a few years ago, I went to, I think it was three years ago, I went to Haiti. And everybody knows that I have a crazy obsession with children. And so we go to Haiti, and we actually went to a home for sick and dying babies. And the beds were full. Um, the the mothers were lined up down the road with these babies, some of them dying in their arms. Um, I've, I've changed lots of diapers. I had five in diapers at one time, and they all had chubby bottoms. But I had to change some diapers here, and... Uh, we just kind of changed them and fed them, and we just spent the day there. And these babies were just bones. I mean, they were starving. And um, so they take them into this home, and uh, the, they try to nurse them back to health and give them back to their mothers there. That's what, that's what the place is for. And so there's mothers lined up down the road. They're trying to get their kids into this place. They don't have any more beds. And I was grieved. I was broken. And I poured my heart out to God continuously, like I couldn't sleep. I was going to go back there and do whatever it took to fix the entire place. You know, I, I was carrying the burden of the whole place. And um, what I didn't do is these other steps, but I didn't give this burden back to the Lord. I just tried to carry it. And when I came home, I got really sick. Um, they thought I had meningitis, and they were sending me back and forth. And then they then they ended up thinking that I had that Zika. And I had it from head to toe. Every single piece of my body, even in my mouth, was all covered in all these bumps and stuff. And you know, I just I felt like God was kind of showing me some things through this. And I was uh, I just thought this was super interesting that um, I put it on myself to feel like I had to carry this burden. That there's no way possible that I could carry. And then last June, Summer and I went on a class trip to Europe. And we were supposed to go and just have this incredible fun time and just enjoy everything. We went to Amsterdam and Brussels and Paris and London. And we went into all these churches, all these cathedrals. You'd pay to go in, you know, you'd pay to go in and you'd look around and there was just it was just beautiful. And there was no relationship with God the statistic that I was told was two out of 10 in Europe have even seen a Bible. And so like around here, we can drive up and down, just drive all over. We can see churches just everywhere, like where people are in the parking lots, you know, people are. And um, so there, they were all just like all these temples, you know, and they were just, they were like monuments, but there was no, you know, you know what I mean? There, there was no relationship, like people didn't know about Jesus. And I came back the same way I did from Haiti, from Europe. I came home, grieved for Europe, and I couldn't sleep, and I wanted to go back and be a missionary, and how can I change the whole world, you know? And um, so I came home, and I, right away, I got um, laryngitis, and I had no voice at all, nothing. And um, when I was going through this and God was showing me, he He was telling me that I had no problem pouring my heart out to God. None at all. I mean, I, I love to pour my heart out to God, but I have much problem with surrendering that thing right back to him. And um, a lot of times people would be like, Amy, you need to just give it to God. And I hate it when people say that because if I don't know how to do it, then the words don't make any difference to me at all if I don't know how to give it to God. And so um, I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to tell you how we give it to God. So in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So God doesn't want us to carry the burden of a nation. The Bible says to carry one another's burdens. um, And he's talking about carrying them right back to Jesus. So um, I'm going to move on to number three, because number three tells us how to do the second one. So how do, I don't want to say number two. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay, so... So um let's see. Now I can't get out. Help me. Okay. So the way that we give thanks to God is found in this in this same verse. So Hannah says, Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped him there. And then the very next ten verses is high praise. How many have ever come into church and you're carrying all this stuff? Right? I know what you have, because we see you, right, Crystal? Yeah, so you might as well say yes because we already know. Anyway, so you come in and you're carrying all this stuff, all this heavy stuff. And so we're doing the first song and everybody's got all these burdens and you can see it. We can see it. And then about halfway through, you guys start to give those things to God and really, really praise. And that's when breakthrough comes. This is supposed to be part of our everyday life. Like it's not supposed to be on Sunday morning that we step in and give those things to God and have breakthrough. Every day of our life, when any situation or circumstance arises with our children or when trouble comes or little things or big things, we're supposed to be able to pour our heart out to God. And the only way to give anything to God is to step right into worship and step right into praise because then we get our eyes off of ourselves and us trying to fix anything, which is impossible. And we get our eyes right on God, who actually can, right? And so that's why immediately after, number two, is number three, which is immediately after, is worship and praise. Uh, I want to take a second to talk about Hophni and Phineas. I don't know if you remember, but I talked about them earlier. They were the priests at the time in the t- in the temple. And if you read in the next, let's see, in chapter 2, they were bad. They were bad guys. They were wicked. And it's just their dad wasn't the only one that knew about it. Like, everybody knew, including Hannah. So she's taking her little boy, he's like four or five, to the temple, dropping her son off. And there's bad guys there. So just imagine what that would feel like. Like, how... Every mother would want to just go rescue your child and take him back home, right? And and sometimes we think that we can do that better. We can take that better than God can. But the only way that she could release her son there in that environment, in that situation, was to go right into worship and praise and trust that the God was going to take care of the situation, the God that's bigger. So... All right, we're going we're gonna to move on, but I, I need to make sure that you guys know the first three. Because um, I felt like God was telling me that this, was, uh, this is a new habit forming. So if we can learn this and apply this to our lives, we'll be able to handle our lives a whole lot better. And we'll be able to live in a place of rest. And so maybe this only applies to me. Maybe I'm preaching to myself but I need it, and so maybe some of you guys need it. So we're going to go through the first three steps, and then I'll move right on to number four. Number one, does anybody know it? Pour your heart out to the Lord. Step two, dedicate. and dedicate means to give, to surrender, to fully release that thing to God, and the only way to do that is found in number three. Worship and praise. Okay, so number four, I need to come down here for number four. Um, I'm going to read the verse first. It says, in chapter 2, verse 19, every year his mother made a little robe and took it to him. Some translations say a little coat, some say a little robe, but it was some type of covering that she made. And she took to her son when they went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. So I'm going to pretend to sew, and you guys are going to have to use your Imaginations. Everybody knows that I don't sew, I don't can, I don't knit, I don't make jelly. Oh, here we go. Oh, no! Now you guys really have to use your imagination. Okay, so like all the moms can imagine that they have a four or five year old son, and I'm not gonna be able to do that, but so if you dropped your child off, And you haven't seen your child in maybe nine months. And then you were working on this little coat for your son, your little guy. Actually, it says that she took this every year. It doesn't ever say she stopped. So, yeah, I was thinking about that. But anyway, so if you were doing that and you were making this little coat, I'm going to just pretend that I'm making this little coat, and you're a mother, come on, imagine what you would be doing as you were making this covering for your son. I'm going to tell you what, this is what I do over my kids. Um, Dear God, I just thank you for Samuel. I thank you that he is blessed in the city and blessed in the field. He is blessed coming in, he's blessed going out, he is the head and not the tail. God, I thank you that your angels are commanded concerning him, to guard him in all of his ways. Lord God, I just ask that you would speak to him in the night. And that he would hear the voice of the Lord. And so that they would just, she would just continue to make this covering. And this covering wasn't just a natural covering. I totally believe, because I'm a mom, and every mom in here knows that there's no way she could sit there making a coat for her son without praying the word of God over her boy. And so that's what she was doing. And so, number four is over your situation over your circumstance, whatever is coming against you, whether it's big or small, if it's your children, if it's relationships. The next step is to make a covering with the Word of God. So the Bible says that the Word of God does not return void. That it's powerful, that it's like a hammer, breaking in pieces. How many know that sometimes we need to use the Word of God like a hammer? Come on, right? All right, so... Uh, Matthew 24:35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jeremiah 23:29 says, The word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And Isaiah 55, 1 says, The word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish all that I have sent it out to do. So I'm going to go through these steps again because I want to make sure you know them. Number one is pour out your heart to God. Number two, dedicate, to give, to surrender, to fully release that thing to God. The only way to do it is number three, praise and worship, getting our mind back on the one that can fix the situation. Number four, with the word, making a covering with the word. So number five is super exciting because we don't have to do nothing. The next thing that happened, actually, if you use a real simple mathematical equation, it's Number one plus number two plus number three plus number four equals number five. So see, I wasn't really good at algebra. This is basic kindergarten stuff. The fifth thing that happens in this story is God
1: blesses.
0: Samuel grew up in favor with God and man. He becomes a great prophet. He hears the voice of the Lord. Hannah has five more children and a dynamite husband worth more than 10 sons as he even said his own self. Nobody think oh I think this is funny but like I said, I'm kind of weird. okay so <laughs> so anyway um, so I'm gonna switch just a little bit now. I want to talk to the wom- the women in the house. Um, I feel like... Just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. All right. I feel like that um, people don't look at motherhood as a high call or like that it's a mighty thing anymore. And and they even kind of look down like, oh, you got 10 kids, like you're a weird. But I believe that God has called us as women to raise up an army. And it's not just me. It's not just because I have 10 kids. Because there is, there's people all around us. There's young people all around us that need spiritual mothers. And, um, the Bible says that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. If you look up the word labor, the first definition is to work. And the second definition is to birth. So there's more than one way to birth. There's, There's a natural way to birth. And women know that when it hurts, you still have to push. Right? I'm going to say that again. Women know when it hurts, we still push. And so then there's a spiritual birthing. And women need to know that when it hurts, we still push. And God has called us to be intercessors. And God has called us to be on our face. Did you guys know that every single mighty man... Every single warrior was birthed by a woman. And it was birthed by a woman that when it hurt, she pushed. And I believe that there is mighty men of God all over. And I believe that there was warrior men all over. But the woman hasn't called out those things. And the woman hasn't maybe birthed birthed through those things even in our sons and in just men around us in general, because maybe we haven't gotten on our faces and just really pushed when it hurt. And sometimes we just get discouraged and we get weary. And because society acts like this isn't a powerful thing, but it is. What we do is powerful. Men are called to be warriors and women are called to be birthers. And what we do is powerful. I want to talk about the last woman. And this is found in Judges 4 and 5. How am I doing? Okay. Judges 4 and 5. I'm not going to go through and read it since I already read you guys 18 verses in a row. I'm just going to tell you the story about Deborah. So um, the Israelite people, they continuously would serve God and love God. And then they would step over into idolatry. And then God would send people to take them over and control them until they would repent and then they would come back and they would serve God and love God. How many know this, right? And it just kept going back and forth and back and forth. So in Judges 4 and 5, the people had gotten into idolatry. And so for, I think it was 20 years, uh, they were God had given them over to their enemies. So, King Jabin, the Canaanites, and the commander of the army, his name is Sisera, they ruthlessly oppressed the people. And it wasn't like for a year, and it wasn't like for three years. It was for a very long time. I think it was 20 years. They ruthlessly oppressed God's people. And it says that village life ceased. So, I want you to imagine Benzie. And I want you to imagine it says that people avoided the main roads. There were very few people in the villages. So people were like hiding out. I mean, they weren't even functioning anymore. They were just afraid. They were being completely controlled and oppressed by King Jabin and the Canaanites. And so this is what it says. It says people avoided the main roads. There were very few people in the villages until I, Deborah a rose, a mother in Israel. So who is Deborah? Deborah was a judge. She was the only female judge in the Bible. She was a judge and a prophet, and she would sit under a palm tree, which is exactly where I would choose. And so she would sit there, and people would come to her with their disputes and their problems, and she was the voice of Jehovah in that time. She had learned to pray. She had learned to hear the Lord, And so God had given her great wisdom to handle all these different situations. And so God spoke to her and said, uh, Call Barak. He was the military commander at the time. And tell him to gather 10,000 troops, for I'm going to give him victory over his enemies. And um, Barak was really outnumbered. And he also didn't have the equipment or the weapons that the other army had. And so he was, you know, kind of discouraged and uh, a little fearful of the battle. And, but she, she commanded him and said, this, this is the voice of Jehovah. And he said, I'm not going unless you're going. And so Deborah arose, a mother in Israel. It doesn't even say she had natural children. She was like this spiritual mother over the entire region because she learned how to intercede. She learned how to hear from God She learned how to give them the answers that they needed from Jehovah And so They went out into battle And Deborah went with them Into battle And all those warriors that were afraid to be warriors All of a sudden were warriors And they won And it said that they had 40 years Of peace After that Which is, that's pretty amazing So um, I want to read Jeremiah 9.20 now you women hear the word of the Lord Open your ears to the words of his mouth Teach your daughters Teach your daughters how to wail And teach them how to lament See God is called mothers Actually if you have a womb That's something to be proud of In the earlier service I'm like Raise your hand if you have a womb And everybody was like <laughs> I don't want anybody to know We know Anyway, um, we are supposed to teach from generation to generation to generation. Teach our children. Teach our daughters how to pray, how to intercede, how to travail, how to birth things through in the spirit. We're supposed to teach them when it's hard, we push. When it's hard, we. When it's hard, we push. When it's hard, we push. Because it's going to get hard. And so women know how to birth in the natural. It's the same way in the spirit. That when things get hard, we have to push. And when it hurts, we have to push. And when it hurts, we have to push. Come on, when it hurts, we have to push. And we have to do this. It's time for the women to rise up. It's time for the women to get up and become the intercessors and push things through like God has called us. Um, I'm going to... I felt like that I was supposed to have this played. Um, I know it's very strange. The sound is called the call to arms. And this is what they play in the military that would tell the military, oh, we need to get up. We need to get up because it's time to get into position for a battle and I'm going to pray right now and then we're going to listen to this call to arms for 60 seconds and it's going to seem a little bit long don't focus on the weird that it's weird okay but that God is doing something that he's awakening something in us that he is calling us to take our positions in the body of Christ That depression is no longer in control and discouragement is no longer in control and weariness just has to go because we need to get into position as mothers to take our land. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray and then I would like Karina to turn this on. It's going to be 60 seconds and I want every woman, every woman, if you have a womb, you need to stand and just receive. So dear Heavenly Father... I just pray that as this is played, God, that everything that has hindered us and held us back, every chain of bondage, everything from our past, everything that's hereditary, any kind of depression, any kind of discouragement, every bit of weariness would fall like chains hitting the floor. And that we would awaken inside. And that we would rise up as women of God, confident in who we are in Christ, and that we would learn how to pray, and that we would learn how to push through, and that we would not give up when it's hard, and that we would not back down when it hurts, God, that we would push, that we would push. Come on, that we would push through, that we would learn to birth things through in the Spirit, that we would learn to pray through. I just want every woman to stand right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. If you have a womb, go ahead and stand. Thank you. the mothers can remain standing. Um, I'm going to pray a blessing over the mothers that are in this place. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. If you have a woman next to you, I just want you to stretch your hand out and just join with me in prayer. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit come, shake